And the idea of being selfish, right? Being bad, it's like, can we reframe that to say, and to think of ourselves as self-focused? Because guess what? If you don't focus on yourself, if you don't focus on your well-being, no one else is going to. Do you understand that a better, more inspired, stronger you emerges from a break and that you're actually risking not fully enjoying your life and showing up as big and as bold as you can for yourself and your career if you never took a break? It's not the badge of honor that we seem to think that it is. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that helps professional women access the limitless potential that lies within them. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik, and my mission is to help you find that spark inside you that has the power to transform your career in ways you may not have thought possible. I'm so excited that you're here, and now, on to the show. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am Jess, a New York Times featured podcaster and host of the Art of Speaking Up podcast. And today's episode is so important. In addition to it being such a good, useful, juicy conversation, it's about a topic that I feel like needs to be discussed a lot more. And it might be a topic that's really, really relevant to you if you are craving more spaciousness and more rest in your lifestyle and you're trying to figure out how you build this ambitious career and really achieve the professional goals that are important to you while also having balance in your life and room to rest and be human. Because we all need downtime. And I'm such a firm believer that if we want to accomplish a lot, we need to rest up and fuel up a lot. And this episode is here to help you identify ways to incorporate rest into your career And also, I really want to open up a conversation about how we can pursue our professional ambitions and also honor our very real needs as humans for downtime and rest. Because I feel like the predominant cultural narrative and the predominant narrative in the corporate space is that working hard is better and overworking yourself is glorified. And I really want to challenge that and try to reverse that idea and really explore whether it's actually true that we get more done and we do better quality work when we're overworking ourselves. And I really want to pressure test that and find out if we can create really wonderful outcomes in our professional lives and also honor our need for rest and play and joy because those are such important parts of the human experience. Today's guest, Katrina, she's going to tell you all about her coaching and all about her work. So you're going to meet her in just a second but she is an expert on all things rest and taking breaks and figuring out how you fit in rest and breaks with the professional goals that are so important to you. So if you're ambitious and you want to have a really high quality of life that includes lots of time for yourself, you are going to love today's episode. Let's dive right into it. Meet Katrina, and I hope you enjoy. Yeah, I'm Katrina McGee. I'm so excited to be here. 
My background is that I am a career break and sabbatical coach. I've been doing this for close to seven years, which sounds crazy to say. Recently, I get to add author as as a title of things I do and things I've accomplished, which feels so meaningful and exciting. I'm sure we'll talk about that later. But essentially, I'm a certified life coach who's here to help people navigate transitions that include taking a break from work so that they come back recharged, inspired, and motivated for their next chapter. And I really focus on helping people create breaks from work that are transformative and life-changing. I am so excited to talk about this because I think sometimes we associate breaks with regressing and I'm really excited to maybe flip that narrative with you. So we're going to start with foundations. And I think this is a very important question. What is your definition of rest and has it changed and evolved as you've gotten deeper into the work that you do? Such a great question because I think there there's a lot that I have learned about rest on my own journey and having coached many people, dozens of people through their own. So at a high level, like simply put, I think of rest as stillness, right? So you think of bodies in motion, it's sort of the opposite of that, right? Being able to be still, to be present and just at ease. My previous definition and sort of the visual that came to mind in the first sort of half of my career, right, working in corporate life as an actuary and then a market researcher and through business school, rest is taking a nap. Rest is sitting down in a chair, staring off into space. Rest is going to sleep, going to bed early, right? It's just rest was very, for lack of a better word, like boring, but it's just basically like parking your body somewhere um, and, and being unconscious, And in the work that I've done and all the years I've been coaching and the experiences I've had taking my own break as well, I've really come to realize rest is not easy and rest is actually difficult. It is something that happens on the inside. And I think a lot of times people struggle with rest because it creates a sense of anxiety to be still with your thoughts or with your body. And it feels more meaningful to be productive and always producing and sort of externally creating these things where people can see the results. And so I've found that rest is actually really difficult. And it's not as simple as taking a nap. There are many things you can do that you know allow for your body to rest. It's really more like taking a pause and allowing the stillness to fill the space, right? So it can be sitting outside in the sunshine and getting your vitamin D, but just taking that pause from life and that race and that sort of like grind on the hamster wheel that, you know, we all have done, but it's not easy. And I think that's probably the biggest aha I've had is it's not easy. And it's not something we actually have to relearn because we've sort of unlearned it through our corporate lives and our work, you know, our hustle and grind culture. So yeah, I've really had a journey with rest. Yeah. That's such a fascinating thought that we want it, but in a way we don't want it. (laughs) Yeah. It feels so uncomfortable, right? It really challenges what we believe to be worthy and challenges this notion of success and good enough and am I doing the right things, right? We don't really focus on states of being. We focus on states of doing. Like, what are we doing? What are we producing versus how am I being in this moment? Yes, I agree with that. And I feel like in order to build a career that's sustainable, our focus has to shift to that because otherwise at some point it becomes unsustainable. A thousand percent. And how we feel, right? How we experience Our work and our careers is so different when we are centered and grounded and how we're being instead of believing, if I can just get through this to-do list, if I can just finish this project, then I get to feel relaxed, then I get to feel accomplished. 
those feelings are so elusive. And even when they happen, they're so fleeting if we're waiting for external things to give us those feelings. But when we ground ourselves in how we really want to be and we're creating the space and the intention to connect with that feeling, we can do more. And when we do it, it just feels better. And to your point, I think that's a much more sustainable way to move through our careers and our lives. I love that so much. And it also just made me think of coaching sessions and how those are these artificial pauses, right? That get put on someone's calendar. And that's one of many reasons I think that it can be so powerful. And you coach specifically on rest. I don't even coach on rest, but it has this impact of slowing people down in a really helpful way. And the substance of your coaching is actually on the topic of rest. That is so genius, Jess. I've never thought of coaching as that, but you're right. It's a chance where it's not about the doing, it's about the being. And someone is pouring into you with questions to process things in your mind, but from a state of you know stillness, sort of like physical stillness to just be present in that moment. You're You're so right. Yeah, exactly. I think about this for myself a lot. I think about how like if we don't have any carved out time, like if I'm not working with a coach or if I don't take time to stop, then I never watch myself. I never see what's happening. I never self-reflect. And so it takes longer to break out of patterns. And so, yeah, it is really a form of pausing, which is really, really cool. And I want to get your thoughts on signs that someone is in need of more rest. What are some signs and symptoms that someone might need to offer themselves more rest? Yeah. One of the biggest signs is if you feel like you are hurling yourself through your life. If you feel like it takes this extraordinary amount of momentum and push to get through your day, to get out of bed, to go to the office or turn your computer on, to send that email, to show up for your team, right? If it's like almost everything you're doing, sometimes even the personal things in your life, that you have to create sort of this groundswell of momentum to push you through to the next thing, that is a sign that you are absolutely in need of rest and probably some realignment <laughs> in what you're, how you're spending your day. But life doesn't have to be something that we force ourselves through. And it shouldn't be, right? There will absolutely be moments that we do have to show up for <laughs> and like really do hard things to move through. But the whole sequence of events in our day should not feel like that. So if you feel like you're having to will yourself through all of the moments in your day or most of the moments in your day, that's a great sign. If you are just tired and exhausted all the time, that's not a normal state of being. If you find that you take a weekend and you have in your mind like, oh my gosh, thank God it's like Thursday. The weekend's going to be here before I know it. I just have to make it to Friday evening or Friday afternoon. And you move through that weekend and you arrive on Monday not really feeling restored, not really feeling recharged. That is a great sign that the way that you're spending your time uh, is not restorative. It's not restful. And that you could actually use more intention around breaking from all of the things that you're used to doing, maybe the habits and the behaviors you have as far as like how you're spending your time and how you're moving through your day. And then I would say, simply put, if you haven't rested in a long while, and I say the word rest and it makes your skin crawl, that's probably a sign that you could also benefit from just having a new relationship with rest or just exploring the idea, right, of, of rethinking how you approach and receive rest. Yes. Okay. So this leads really well into the next question. And also, I have a feeling I know what some people might be thinking as they're hearing what you're sharing. I'm sure some people are experiencing the thought of like, I have a lot of obligations, right? Like the, a lot of the things I'm doing, I have to do. And a lot of times whenever I'm having a conversation with someone and I get some form of like, I don't have time for that, I always encourage them to think about the bigger picture. Because I think sometimes when we think about time, we do not think about it in an accurate way. 
right? And so I feel like I'm leading the witness a little bit, but I want to <laughs> I want to hear your thoughts on this idea that if I rest more, I'm going to get less done. Oh, so good. I have so much to say. I'm going to keep it really simple though, and I'm going to I have two things I want to say. First, I love this analogy that I'm borrowing from a business school classmate because it's so powerful. And it's simply put, I couldn't stop to get gas because I was too busy driving. Great. Love that for you. Yeah, you're going to get further than the person that stopped for gas in this moment. And where are you going to be a day from now, right? With a broke down car on the side of the road. And I think it's so short-sighted how we view productivity, how we view sort of this balance of rest and doing. And the other point I really want to make that's quite simple is rest is about producing a result. Happiness is a result. Restoration is a result. It's so narrow-minded for us to just focus on what are the things that I'm doing that other people can see, right? So those obligations, of course, they feel important. Many of them are. But if, if your whole life is a task list, guess what happens? You get to the bottom and it is magically refilled. There is never going to be a moment where you get through all of the task and life goes, you know what? you've worked really hard. I'm going to give you a week with no more admin. You're just going to, your brain is going to fill that time, right? You're suddenly going to decide that, you know, the hole in your sweater, you need to learn how to like mend it because now you have the time to learn how to mend it and you are like wasting the sweater. I mean, your brain will fill that time with the craziest things if you have it. So I think it's important to understand on the list of responsibilities, your own well-being should be at the top of that list. And when you're talking about producing a result, a restored you is a result, a happier you is a result, and it matters just as much. And so you have to create space, right, to get gas, to stop and get gas before you're on E, before the light comes on. It's a really awful feeling to have life stop you because you refused to ever take a break. And it absolutely will. You'll either, you know, like some people find that they get health stuff. They have, you know, sort of like this mental break where they're like, I cannot, I am burnt out. I like, I need some therapy and some time off. Sometimes you're released from your job and you're like, oh my gosh, I've poured in so much of myself to this thing. And now it's like, I'm struggling to put the pieces back together. I mean, there's just a million ways that a break can take you. So I like to tell people, take the break before before it gets to that point, right? Yes. When you said happiness as a result, I got chills because I've never, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that sentence. And it is so profound. I'm so happy that you framed it that way. And as you were talking, it made me think of times where I'm like tired and not in good energy. And I'm like trying to push through some task and it is taking hours and hours and hours. And then like, I get a good night's sleep and I come back to it and it's done in five minutes, right? And it's like, that's such an example of like resting, saving time. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But we're wired to think it's the doing only, right? The only, yes. Like I have to be doing and the hours are directly correlated to the quality. It's like if I've worked for eight hours, it must be better than if I worked for two. But two peak hours can crush eight very mediocre hours. Yeah. And it's so wild how our brains can deceive us and it feels so real. And when we really start to see that maybe that's not how it works, that's where we start to gain freedom. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that so much. Do you have any examples of working with someone who was in a corporate role, who you supported them in doing less, resting more, taking care of themselves more, and it was helpful to their career, or at least like not detrimental. Because I think a lot of people's fears, like, 
I want to have success and my professional life requires me to put in a lot of effort. Absolutely. Yeah, I have a really great example. Oh, I love this client so much. We worked together a few years ago, but she had two little kids and she was in a corporate job and her husband had an equally corporate corporate job. And so they were both really busy with all the things. And there was a sense for her of pouring out of her cup and having nothing left for herself, right? So she felt like she was not able to fully do a great job at home as far as being as present for her kids as she wanted to and as engaged as she wanted to, even though she was a good mom. And she felt like she wasn't able to really soar at work the way that she wanted to because there just wasn't enough for any one thing. It was like she was trying to give everything 100%. And of course, course, those numbers don't add up. And so she was left feeling really frustrated with several different aspects. And then when we talk about her and self, it was like there was really nothing left, right? So in the work we did, we had to really reframe how she's approaching her life. And one of the things that really resonated with her was thinking about herself as the CEO of her own life. So if she was running her life as a business, what kinds of decisions would she be making about her time and where she's showing up instead of feeling reactive and just immediately trying to respond to the needs as they arose, but actually taking that higher level, more removed point of view of what's the bigger picture here and the longer term gain. And she started finding space for herself. She would not call herself this, but she was an artist. She's amazing. She would sketch, draw, paint. I mean, she was incredibly talented, but she hadn't sketched in in years. I think it had been like over a decade. And so when we were doing our work together, we started talking about creating space for her to pour into herself with not necessarily restorative, intentionally restorative, but restorative for her spirit, right? So it doesn't have to be stillness, but it's like spiritually restorative for the things that she likes. And creativity was one of those. So she started... I love this idea. She started drawing with her girls and giving them coloring books and they would have like an art hour together or art time, right? So she's spending time with them, but she's also creating space for herself and she's indulging that part of her that had been dormant, that creative part that she felt like she had to keep hidden for a long time. And this sort of spiraled into bigger things. She started listening to podcasts in Italian because she used to speak Italian, but I think she had kind of lost that and so she wanted to get it back. So she was listening to podcasts in Italian and really sparking her passion for the Italian language and culture. And flash forward, you know, towards the end of our work together, she was nominated for one of the top awards in her company for the work that she had done. And it was so incredible that people were responding positively to her because I think she was shining much brighter because she was allowing space for herself. And even though she had less time, we talked about boundaries. So she started I remember how much she struggled against this or like railed against this, but we took notifications off her phone in the evening and the weekends, right? So it was like not checking email, being really okay with things are happening in the background and you don't have to know about them until you come back to work and turning your computer off and having a ritual to signify in your brain, this is the last 10 minutes of my workday and now I'm going to leave work here and go spend time with my family. And even if she had an emergency where she had to come back online, she had a full disconnect first. And it was like in those ways... She was being more recognized, right, for her contribution and able to produce more meaningfully because she was actually doing less and because she was using that energy instead of just dumping it out to everything reactively, she was pouring it back into herself and being more intentional about what got her energy. And it was so incredible to see her have more success at work by doing less. 
Oh, that story is so compelling to me. And it stirs up a lot of emotions for me because I think it's quite rare that we tell success stories of women that sound like that, that are like, and she did this for herself and she did this for herself and she did this for herself and she created the outcomes that she wanted. Those are just so incredibly rare. And I feel like we need to be talking about that more so that we can stop glorifying overworking. And of course, like, There are the realities of people's lives that they have to work around. And I think this leads perfectly into the next question. But I do think, you know, at its core, I think it's about seeing ourselves as deserving and worthy enough to figure it out as best we can and move the puzzle pieces as best we can. And so I'll take us into the next question, which is this idea of the relationship between rest versus our self-worth and pressures that we experience as women to self-sacrifice, to take care of other people. And I just want to get your thoughts on how our relationship with ourselves, our sense of self-worth, and the pressures we experience as women to make sure everyone else around us is happy, how those things intersect with our ability to carve out time for rest. Yeah, I mean, this is so deep, right? We're we're talking about something that goes so far back and so deep. I think it's sad but true. Women are really magical beings. And I think in the past, certain people have benefited from us pouring everything out and focusing on so many things outside of ourselves so that we are disconnected from our magic. And I think that you can't run on empty forever. And the idea of being selfish, right? Being bad. It's like, can we reframe that to say, and to think of ourselves as self-focused? Because guess what? If you don't focus on yourself, if you don't focus on your well-being, no one else is going to. And no one else is going to come back to you and say, you look like you've just been pouring out to everyone else for the last decade. Why don't I pour into you? It has to start with you. You set the tone, right, for that. And if you have if you have nothing to give for yourself, you have less to give to everyone else and the things that you want to contribute to. So I think it's very real that it's really hard when you're, you know, if you're a parent, those little beings need you for survival. That's really hard to disconnect from, right? If you have a job, you are responsible for producing things and getting stuff done. If you have a partnership, you're responsible for being a partner, right? But I think that we have these unreal standards of how we're supposed to show up in every facet of our life. So number one, I think having believing that you need to have a spotless house, that your children need to be like the most self-actualized, perfect human beings that are never sad or scared or anything, you know, like having these unrealistic expectations. Maybe you have to be cooking meals from scratch if you have the time. And for work, it's like, well, I need to always be on and my team needs to know that I will never, ever, ever have to push back or tell them, you know, we just have very unrealistic expectations. But at the end of the day, we matter. We matter and we have to show up for ourselves because no one else is going to do that work for us. And it can be really hard, but I like to think of it as self-focused. You have to focus on yourself sometimes. Like you are special and magical and important and you have to be pouring into yourself too. And you have to really tune into yourself and say, what do I need right now? And sometimes the answer might be rest and that's okay. It's a very long-term gain way to think of your life taking these breaks, having these pauses, allowing it to ebb and flow. It's not a steady go, go, go. And so when you need that pause, it's important to know that you need the pause and then to find a way to give it to yourself. And I just think creating this idea that we need to be self-sacrificing is so damaging because it essentially means we are not worthy. Like everything else in our life is worth more and we have to give to all of that and we get the crumbs of what's left. And no one really long-term benefits from that. You know, my mom 
worked a full-time job and kept a super clean house, cooked dinner from scratch every night because she felt like she had to be the best homemaker and, you know, perform at her job. And I just remember really wanting as a kid growing up to give her the gift of time and to just let her find joy. It made me really sad that my mom didn't have time to enjoy her life the way that I felt like she should have been able to because she did so much for everyone else, you know? So I think when we take responsibility for that, right, we create space for that to be a reality and a possibility. I love that. I love it so much. And I just really love the perspective that you bring because I think time can almost feel like a not emotional topic in a way. And I I really love how your perspectives are just so rooted in these deeper themes and that there's so much meaning tied into this idea of how do we carve out more time and how do we experience rest. And I think, yeah, everything you're saying is just really impacting me. So thank you. Yeah, of course. This is so fun. You're asking some really, I think, really important questions. I love hearing your perspective. It's opening my mind to new ways of thinking about it. And hopefully at this point, people are on board and wondering how they can do this. And so we'll get into a little bit of the how-tos and the tips that you might have for someone who is looking to carve out more time for rest and for themselves. And we're going to start with um, doing it in smaller ways, like bite-sized ways that feel maybe more approachable. And then we're going to talk about doing it in bigger ways. So let's talk about first the smaller ways. And you've mentioned some really useful ones in terms of your past client work. But what are some small tweaks or adjustments that people can experiment with and play with to find more of a sense of rest and stillness and rejuvenation in their day-to-day? Yeah, I've got three really easy ones that come to mind and are very doable for anyone if you're committed, right, to really taking care of yourself. So one, have a morning routine. And I don't mean have a list of shoulds. I don't mean Force yourself to meditate for 30 minutes, even though you hate it and want to crawl of your skin. I don't mean, you know, do a load of laundry. Like it's not about being productive. It's not about being aspirational. It's about pouring into your cup for a moment in time and setting a boundary before you welcome the day and all of its chaos into your life. So even if you have kids, one of the most foundational things is having a morning routine, even if it's only 10 minutes where you are pouring into yourself. Maybe that means sitting in sunshine for five minutes and then having like some protein for breakfast and making sure you get a glass of water in. It might mean that you, uh, if you, for example, love playing the piano, maybe it means recklessly, air quotes, right? You just go to the piano and like play it out for like seven minutes. It doesn't have to be logical. It doesn't have to be self-improvement oriented. It's really about self-care from a lens of pleasure. Like what is really nourishing to me, but also restorative to my spirit. It could be listening to a podcast for fun. It could be reading a book. It could be taking a walk and moving your body or doing some stretching. It really doesn't matter, but I want you to think of it. The last thing I'll say about this, think of it as this is a boundary I'm going to hold for myself so that I start the day with the feelings and the intention that I want to move through this day with instead of waking up, looking at our phone, and then letting all of the chaos, whether it's the news, it's work demands, it's the kids, it's the partner, it's whatever, right? Letting the outside world set that tone of our day and like kind of like pull us off center before we've even really started. So that's number one, like talk about like getting a great start. Number two is planning for white space. So white space is, you know, 
taking a one hour block, pre-planning it on your calendar and deciding today is Monday on Thursday at 2 p.m., I'm going to have an hour of white space. What you don't do is show up to that hour thinking that you're going to be doing your to-dos. It's not a time to go pick up your dry cleaning. It's not a time to, you know, till the garden, like go out to the garden and do the thing that you've been meaning to do. The only job you have is to arrive at the beginning of the hour and ask yourself one simple question over and over again for 60 minutes. What do I need right now? Is it water? Go get a glass of water. You might say, oh my gosh, what I need right now is to just lay down on the floor. I'm exhausted. I don't even want to go to bed. I just want to like lay here, lay there, lay there for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And then when you're tired of laying there, say, hmm, what do I need? Or you can say, what do I want? Like, what do I need or want right now? And it might be like, oh my God, I want to call my friend. I have not connected with her in forever. And even if I can't get a hold of her, I just want to leave her a message and let her know I'm thinking of her. Great. Call your friend, leave a message. And then at the end of that, what do I want right now? Oh, I want something sparkly and fun to drink. I think I'm going to go get a kombucha at the store. I'm just going to go to the store in the middle of the day, go get a kombucha, right? It doesn't matter. We don't spend time connecting with what do we need right now. We're living our lives based on what us seven days ago or two months ago decided we should be doing Tuesday at 2 p.m. or, you know, Thursday at 7 p.m. It's like we're just running on this like pre-automated system of trying to get all the things done and be super efficient with our time. And we just don't spend time stopping to be like, what is true for me now? Because what's true for you now might be different than what was true for you even yesterday. So having white space, planning white space is so helpful to get reconnected to yourself and start actually filling your own needs and filling your own cup. And then the other one is being really ruthless with your calendar. So as you look at the week ahead, If you look at it and you feel a certain way about it and there's like a tightness or a constriction in your chest where you're like, oh, you know, like that feeling of like, oh God, this week, be relentless and ruthless and dare yourself to cut something out, push something off to the next week, right? Or delegate. So delay, delete, or delegate something or some things on your calendar, even if you don't think that you can, I promise you that you can, right? If you got sick or if you have kids and your kids were sick, like you would find a way to make the space. So proactively find a way to make the space for you before, you know, before like you have to, you have no choice but to make that space. And so, like I said, delay, delegate, delete, be ruthless, be relentless, create that time for yourself proactively on Monday and just kick something down the road, take it off or give it to someone else. Yes. Oh my gosh. We rarely think about and connect with our own needs. And I've also noticed that my brain treats everything as urgent. Uh-huh. Me too. I have to say, I have to tell on myself, you are, I, I definitely yeah. struggle with that too. I've made lists of like what I need to get done today. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so stressed out. There's so many things on the list. And then I look at like, wait, what's actually time sensitive? And it's like 20 to 30% of what's on the list. Yes, but it's like it's like our brains are thinking in these sort of best case administrative scenarios where it's like, it would be so great if I got that done and that done, but it's just not possible. But I feel like it's this misguided sort of shadow side opt- of optimism where it's like, oh, but maybe if I just don't breathe, don't stop, don't eat, don't blink, I could do it all. And then I'm going to feel so good at the end of the day. And no, you're actually going to feel like crab. And so the way you feel good is by creating a more realistic, you know, outline for yourself. And I even do that with my work where I'm like, okay, today I'm going to write a newsletter. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do this podcast interview. And then I'm going to like send this email. I'm going to write this content. I'm going to, and it's like, I get two of those things done. And I feel like a failure. Whereas when I was writing my book, for instance, I did not have time. I did not have enough time. And I was like, 
these people aren't getting a newsletter from me for three weeks because I don't have the time. And guess what? Everybody survived and people still hired me, right? But our brains are just out of control, sort of living in this fantasy land, I think, sometimes. I relate to this so deeply. And it's very funny to reflect on like, it feels so normal in our heads. And then when we talk about it, the ridiculousness is just hilarious. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I love that so much. So we've talked about little ways of carving time and getting rest. So now let's talk about bigger ways. I know that you support professionals taking breaks and sabbaticals. So I wanted to just get your thoughts on what that looks like, how you think about that. Um, So I'll just leave it open-ended and then we'll go from there. Yeah, thank you for opening the floor the floor for this one. So, you know, at a high level, I think of these breaks as times for you to reclaim your life. It can be really difficult to create the space for self-reflection, for self-improvement in the sense of being more aligned and sort of realigning to who you are now and pouring into yourself in that way for the restoration of your spirit, your physical self, your mental self. It's like in life, we have all of these commitments and these cords or threads sort of like attached to us, kind of like we're puppets. And a break is a chance for you to rip out some really sharp scissors and cut all of those cords, or at least the ones that are not essential, and to really just be present for a moment and think about what cords do I want to reconnect and what ones do I want to leave disconnected? And are there new cords I want to bring in? What do I want to put my time into? And who am I now? Like, not who was I 10 years ago? And am I still doubling down on old goals and an old way of being that actually don't feel good to me anymore? But like, who am I now? Let me re-meet myself. Let me reclaim my time. And so breaks can be six weeks, Breaks can be three months. Breaks can be six months. Breaks can be two years. My break was 20 months. The average for my clients is between six to 12 months. But some of them take longer. Some of them take shorter. It's really about allowing yourself time to fully go offline before you come back online and to be thoughtful about the things you're choosing to allow back into your life and that you're going to be investing your time in. And so as much as people hear that, and I can't tell you, Jess, how many times when people hear what I do, it's kind of like this, in, um, the high achievers, it's like this immediate dismissal. <laughs> That's not for me. I have a career and I'm so successful, right? And it's just sort of this very instinctive reaction to like, don't you come at me with that rest BS, right? And it's like, do you understand that a better, more inspired, stronger you emerges from a break and that you're actually risking not fully enjoying your life and showing up as big and as bold as you can for yourself and your career, if you never took a break, it's not the badge of honor that we seem to think that it is. And I'm really trying to shift that narrative, right? Like you said before, people think of it as career regression, but it's actually career and life progression. It's about moving you forward. And I have coached over 73 people into and through career breaks. I've seen so many in the drive, like in the passenger seat, like sitting really up close and seeing it happen in real time. They come back from their breaks so excited. And the reality of work after is so much better. Even if they go back to a similar job or the same job, everything on the inside has changed, which means their experience of work is different. And some people realize they want to go become a freelancer or a digital nomad, or they want to start their business. Some people want to change careers. And again, some people just want to go back to the same life, but as a different version and enjoy it so much more. And so, and like, let it sink in so much more deeply how amazing life can be. Oh my gosh. I feel so like compelled by the way that you speak about your work. And I'd be curious if 
there are common fears that come up around taking breaks. Like maybe what are the one or two biggest ones? And what does the plan look like to tackle those things? Yeah. So top, I'll give you the three because there's three really huge ones. One is perception. What will people think of me? Will I be seen as a failure? I can't hack it. Like this actually means something really bad about me. If I say I need a timeout. Number two is money. I find that at least half of my clients actually have access to the money to take a break, but they would tell you with a straight face, pass a lie detector test. I can't afford to take a break because really what they're saying is my retirement, my investments, and the ways that I'm mindlessly spending money to like help me make it through this really like tiring, exhausting like season of life. Those things are all getting my money and my own well-being does not make the cut, right? Which is really what a break is. It's an investment in your well-being. And beyond the perception of the money, it's the career. What would I come back to? And am I sacrificing decades of hard work to get to where I am just to tumble back because I air quotes like couldn't hack it or decided that I wanted to take some time off? At the end of the day, all of these fears are totally understandable, but they're not real. Number one, You have the same experience, the same expertise, the same network as pre-break you. But the difference is that when you come back from a break, you have more energy, you have more of a, a zest for life, and you have a genuine excitement to get back and contribute in some meaningful way. So you bring a better version of you. And so finding a job, I have to say, my clients are very thoughtful about the break. So obviously designing a break with intention and goals and knowing what success means to you personally is critical. And that's part of what I work on is like building that break blueprint with my clients. But once you have that blueprint and once you have your intentions, you come back as this amazing version of you. And my clients have all had a really great experience re-entering the job market. And I have had multiple clients say to me, That was the easiest job search I've had in my whole career. They had the quickest, easiest time finding a job. And I have had clients poached out of a break. Like literally people coming and being like, I know you're on a break, but we have this great opportunity. Would you consider coming out early to work with us? It's so incredible, right? When it comes to the money, again, reframing it as an investment in your well-being. This is about reclaiming your life. I personally had $1,500 in my bank account when I decided to take a break. And I had a townhouse that I wasn't making money on that I was renting out because of the housing market crisis and the tenant issue in Atlanta. Like I just was not profiting at all. And some months I was going negative. I didn't know how I was going to make it happen, but I got my life together. I saved $40,000 in 18 months. I traveled around the world. I spent all that money until I went broke. But then I came back and because of my new relationship with money, I paid off all my student loans in less than two years and became completely debt-free in my early 30s. Like, what? That's amazing, right? And as far as perception goes, people decide how they feel about you and your break, largely based on how you feel about you and your break. So if you're doing the work to be intentional, to develop that blueprint, to really set goals for yourself, as far as like, what does success mean to me? You will create an experience that lights you all the way up. And when people see that version of you, they're going to be like, oh my gosh, I always have a client who has some person in their life, not always, but usually there's a client that has like some person in their life that's sort of a naysayer. And without fail, By the end of their break, when that naysayer, that could be their romantic partner, it could be their parent, it could be their friend, it could be a close colleague, sees them shining in the brightness of having had that break, they're like, oh, okay, cool. I see what you did there. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe that wasn't such a bad idea. I'm kind of on board now, right? And so it's really owning your story and knowing 
just because somebody doesn't get it right away does not mean it's the wrong thing. This is your life. It's never supposed to look exactly like anyone else's life. And if it does, you're doing it wrong (laughs) because it's yours, right? Oh my gosh, that's so powerful. And I also feel like sometimes a lot of people are afraid that they're going to be judged. And what happens is sometimes the opposite of people are jealous or they're like, oh, I wish I was doing that. Or like, that is really bold of you. I wish I had the guts to do that. Exactly. People really look up to that, I think, and they admire it. And a lot of my clients say exactly what you just said. People are like, oh my God, I have so many questions. Like, I wish I could do that. That's so amazing. You're so incredible. Like you've inspired me to think about, you know, maybe one day I could do that. Yeah, it's it's so interesting what we think it's going to be versus what it actually is. And I've loved hearing your insights. I think this is going to be expansive for so many people. For those who are curious about your work and also about your book, let's first let's talk about your book and then we'll talk about where we can follow you on the interwebs. Yeah. So my book just came out. It's called Taking a Career Break for Dummies. And it's part of the actual For Dummies series, which is so exciting. I know. So, so exciting. And what an amazing opportunity. And it really goes through the whole process. It took me nine months of writing. And I really tried to break down every single step in the process. So it actually starts with the first part of the book being about deciding if a break is right for you. And if it's not, what are some alternatives that you could consider if you feel like you would like a break, but you're just not at a place where you can take one? And it moves through how to set a plan up, right? So we talked about those intentions, setting that structure, defining success. I share lots of prompts on that and activities to help people get clear for the plan, how to prepare for a break logistically and mentally, how to navigate it because rest is hard and it doesn't matter how good you think you're going to be at it. Chances are when you're on your break, there'll be a moment where you feel incredibly lazy and you're freaking out. And then you start worrying about what you're going to do next. And it's like, how do I navigate that transition and that new way of being? And also life is always going to life. And clients have gone through some really hard things very unexpectedly, like loss of a loved one, divorce. I mean, lots of things have come up during that time. And so how do I navigate the new reality while still honoring what's true for me on my break? And then how to return with multiple job offers, right? How do I talk about this in a cover letter or in an interview? How do I put this on my resume? How do I use my break as an asset instead of letting it be a deterrent and kind of leaning into that and making sure that the version of you that emerges post-break is able to maintain those benefits that you got in your break and they don't just all go out the window because your break is suddenly over. So I am so proud of this book and it really does an amazing job of summarizing everything I've learned from all of those breaks, including taking two of my own over the last seven years, but make it really practical. I had 24 clients who were so amazing and I'm so grateful for them. They gave me permission to use their stories. So there's lots of anecdotes. There's a case study. I really feel like... It's easy to think I'm a unicorn or I'm just talking crazy. And I really wanted those stories to help paint pictures of what it can look like and to help people see their stories in this book and to know like, oh, wow, I have kids, but people can do that you know, with kids. Oh, I don't want to travel abroad, but oh, I don't need to. Or I feel really stuck and I don't know how to afford it. This is how Katrina saved 40K in 18 months. Okay, great. Maybe I could do that too. I just really want to make it personal um, so that people see themselves and see the possibility in this book. And so, you know, it really breaks it down and keeps it really simple with some activities and prompts and some of the coaching goodness, but also the practicalities of navigating and planning a break. It sounds incredibly thorough and very compelling. If someone wants to grab the book, we'll put it in the show notes, but where's the best place to get it? Yeah, the best place to get it is to go to thecareerbreakbook.com. 
it will um, let you get it through your vendor of choice. You can get it through Amazon, Bookshop, Barnes & Noble, but you'll also get a chance to get the free blueprint. So I talked about the blueprint. It's sort of this one-page roadmap of your break. So if you order your book through that website, you'll also get the blueprint for free. And it's just really helpful because the book is amazing, but it's also like 360-something pages. And so, you know, having a one-page summary of what you really need to know and what the key essential elements are can be very grounding as well. Wonderful. We will link all of that in the show notes. And then in terms of your work, if people are interested in either following your work or reaching out to you, we'll of course put all of this in the show notes. But what are some of the best ways to do that? Yeah. So the best two ways to do that are if you want to like see some of my content and follow me and just stay up to date on things, I show up on LinkedIn very, very often sharing lots of nuggets and wisdom there and some of my client experiences and stories. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Katrina McGee, pretty straightforward. And then I also have a free a freebie that I do and it is 45 epic things to do on a break. And it is called from a, a list of amazing things my clients have done over the last several years. So it's 45 of the coolest things I've seen people do on a break. So you can go to my website, kmcgeecoaching.com and download that list. And it will give you so much inspiration. I mean, it's a really cool list and there's lots of really interesting things. But if you want to peek behind the scenes at what really happens on a break, you can download that list and then that'll put you on my mailing list so that we can stay in touch and you can reach out and um, find out more about working with me. Oh my gosh. Okay. Amazing. I will put all of that in the show notes. And now I'm going to pivot to the closing questions that I ask every guest. So the first is an open-ended question. And I just like to check in with each guest at the end of the interview and see if there are any topics that I haven't talked about that are just important for you to shout out that you want to mention. Yeah. You've asked so many great questions. I think one thing I want to make really clear, and I think we almost touched on it, but I just would dive dive one level deeper to say it, a break is not really a privilege. It should be a right for us all. It is, we are, those of us that can take a break, of course, right? We're privileged to be able to do so. But really in the scheme of life, it should be something that we all have access to. And that's why I wrote this book. That's why I do the work that I do. It's very meaningful for me. So if you're dismissing it as this isn't for me, I want you to know your break can be as short as you need. You don't have to travel abroad. You don't have to spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. It's really about giving yourself a point of rest and reclaiming your time to pour into only the things that you really want to be pouring into. And I purposely don't use the word privilege when I talk about it, even though like it does you know, take certain means to be able to afford it because I don't want to be exclusive. I don't want you to think that this is only for people that don't have kids that are in their mid-20s or that have a trust fund or that have like, you know, excelled the the financial corporate ladder and like have, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in their savings account. I want you to see the possibility for you because this is about living your life better, like having a better experience for however long you get to be here and just making the most of what you have. You've worked so hard to create this life. You deserve to be able to revel in it and to celebrate it and to savor it. And a lot of times we're on a hamster wheel that does not allow for that. And so I just want you to think about it as your right. Like how can I create the means to reclaim my right to take time to enjoy my freaking life that I've worked so hard to create? And I just want to say that again so that it's not that dismissive like, oh, I couldn't do that. That's not for me. Or like, you know, only privileged people can do that. I want it to be for everyone. And my goal is to like break it down and make it more applicable and more accessible for many more of us. I like that. And I feel like it reinforces the idea that it shouldn't be considered a privilege. So while there might be practicalities that impact it, 
we are all deserving of it and we should work to get resourceful to figure out how we fit it into our lives with whatever means we have. You said that so well. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's such a beautiful message. And then next question is about the name of the show, The Art of Speaking Up. I love to ask every guest, what does The Art of Speaking Up mean to you? Yeah. We all know things. Our inner wisdom is speaking to us. So for me, the art of speaking up is about finding our way to share our truth, to be able to find the courage and connection to speak up and share our truth. Because I think we know so much. We're so wise. We know when it's a yes and we know when it's a no. But like it takes courage to actually put voice to that. And so I think it's finding the way that you can do that and feel confident in yourself enough to speak your truth. Mm. And final question. The final question came from the inspiration for this show. So the reason that I started this show way back when was because I went through this very difficult time in my corporate career where I was struggling with self-confidence and imposter syndrome and just doubting that I could create the success that I wanted to. And I created this show because I wanted to speak to women that might be in that place and really just offer them encouragement and remind them to believe in themselves. And so I love to give this space to the guest to share anything that you would want to share directly in the ears of someone who might be struggling or might be in a difficult season. Yeah. Well, difficult seasons come for us all. What I think is really important to consider is when you look at your life, right? If you imagine getting to the end of your life, envision it if you were chasing green flags i.e. really showing up for the things that matter to you, right? In, in whatever small way you could, even if today that means just not giving up. And then revisit that life if you were spending it avoiding red flags. If your motivation was to avoid the discomfort, to avoid the pain or the possibility of pain, to avoid awkwardness, to just avoid that conflict or those feelings and to just kind of like make decisions based on the things you're afraid of, versus the things that you want. And what I want to encourage the listener, right, that that needs to hear this to think about is like, how much bigger and more magical could my life be if I focused on chasing the green flags, right? Of course, sometimes you have to avoid the red ones. They can be really scary and awful. But in general, right, your life is going to be a beautiful, freaking magical ride if you are finding and using your energy and putting it towards chasing those green flags and really going for the things that you want to create instead of trying to avoid bad outcomes that honestly might not even happen, right? So I just want that for you so badly to be able to look on your life and go, oh my gosh, I really saw my potential and I really, I did some hard things and I did them for the right reasons and I did them for things that were meaningful to me and that contributed to myself and and the people I care about or the things that I care about in this world. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all of your wisdom and vibrant energy with us. You're so welcome, Jess. This was such a joy. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope that you loved it as much as I did. When I was talking to Katrina, I just got so into the conversation. I had never talked about these topics before on the podcast. They felt so important and so relevant. And I hope that you found it really helpful. And I hope that you took something away from the conversation that you can apply to your day-to-day work week and maybe even carved out space for that longer break or sabbatical. Thank you so much for being with me here today. I'm going to drop all of Katrina's links and information in the show notes. So go ahead and check out her work, follow her stuff. A big thanks to her for coming on the show and sharing her wisdom. And I'll catch you in next week's episode. Bye.